you have to have a remote first mindset to mitigate this distance bias because it is flawed thinking to think that we will all be together even part of the week together because that didn't even happen before the pandemic. So this is the moment to redesign for location inclusion from the start with the assumption that even well-intended co-location is probably not gonna happen. So build from the place of remote first. Welcome to the IDOU Creative Confidence Podcast a series focused on building your confidence at work to tackle your biggest creative challenges. Join us as we learn insights and lessons straight from IDEO and today's most impact-oriented design thinking leaders. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Creative Confidence Series. I'm Suzanne Gibbs-Howard, founder and dean of IDEOU, and I'm thrilled that you're here with us today. I uh, also want to have a special welcome to our guest today, Sasha Connor. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Sasha is the founder of Virtual Work Insider, an organization that helps to coach organizations to work more seamlessly across distance. So I'm sure you can already see how relevant that is to our world today. And so uh, what we wanted to do today is bring Sasha back. I met her just over a year ago. Uh, It was a time when the COVID-19 pandemic was unfolding itself across our society And all of us had our heads spinning, trying to figure out how we were going to do this remote work thing while taking care of all of the other things that were going on in our lives. And for many people, absolutely still are. So Sasha came in with us at that time. It was one of our most attended podcasts ever, sharing tips and tricks for being part of a remote workforce. And so today, what we want to do is come back and take stock on where we are now, you know, Is in-person work dead? Sasha and I don't think so. We think we're going to something that's more like a hybridized workforce, some remote, some in-person. And so we're going to talk about that today. That's the first thing. What is this hybridized workforce? How can we peek into the future through the eyes of Sasha and get some insight into that? Number two, we're going to talk about things that you can do to thrive in a remote and hybridized workforce. And three, We'll talk about combating remote fatigue and some particular things that you can do with culture in order to get there. So with that, Sasha and I wanted to get us all started with a tiny warm-up, and then Sasha's going to tell us why these warm-ups actually matter. So the warm-up we have for you is, could everybody share one thing that is new but also positive in their life? And Sasha, maybe you can get us started sharing what's new and positive in your life and then talk about remote warm-ups. Well, hi, everyone. And hello again, Susan. Thanks so much for having me back. And I cannot believe it's been a full year since we were talking about that transition to rapid remote work. And what's new with me is one full year later, one of my two kids just started back in school in person four days a week. And we're talking about hybrid work today. So he's actually in hybrid school now. So he's in in the school building four days at home one day a week. And thank you for for kicking us off with a warm up. And and I think it is important. It's it's an important opening ritual, especially in virtual group meetings. And the reason why it's so important is I I think that the, the four main components of a good virtual meeting are an effective meeting, meaning you get out of the meeting what you were hoping to get out of it. 
an efficient meeting, you're using everybody's time really wisely, an engaging meeting so that we're keeping people's interest, and also an inclusive meeting, giving an opportunity to hear everybody's voices. And by having these warm-up rituals, you're allowing people to have a voice early in the meeting so and in a low-risk way so that hopefully they will speak up later, especially for introverts. I'm a huge introvert, so it's super important to kind of get us uh, warmed up at the beginning so that we can actually be feel included later on. Nice. So I want to tell you a little bit more about Sasha, some of the interesting things, and then we're going to dive into the meat of our day today. So Sasha is celebrating her 10-year, I love this phrase that she uses, her remote-aversary. So she has been working for nine years longer than the rest of us in a fully remote way. And that's why she has so many great tips and tricks. She started off doing this when she was a director of marketing in the Clorox company um, and was an incredibly successful remote leader there, leading brands that were over $250 million. And so I think if that's not evidence that this is all possible, I don't know what is. From there, she went off and she started uh, Virtual Work Insider, and that is an organization that teaches teams and leaders how to communicate, how to collaborate, and how to keep driving culture even across distance. And so Sasha and I have both shared that we think the future is all about this hybridized workforce. We're not going back to the same old normal. It's going to be a new normal. One of the things we'll be sharing a bit about today is that we conducted a survey. Uh, we had feedback from over 900 people about where they think their work is going. Uh, and what we heard, we'll go ahead and we'll share some of these resources visually for you. But what we heard was that 86% of people think their particular workforce is going to go to a hybridized state. I think one of the things that was particularly interesting in this data was that we also asked people what they wished for. And 15% of people had this hope that their work would be fully remote forever, whereas only 7% of people really thought that that was going to be their new reality. But most of all, we just wanted to use this to kick off to you, Sasha, and ask you, what do you think are the important things for people to know about hybridized work? So first, let's talk about what has been a constant for many teams from before the pandemic to what's happening right now and to where we're headed. And that constant is that most of us were working across some sort of distance with our team members. That could be uh, our organizations being spread across multiple office sites, or that could be agencies working with their clients across distance, across different city, states, and, and countries. So most of us were working in some sort of virtual team even before the pandemic happened, but we actually hadn't thought about it in that way. And what the pandemic did is it pushed everybody into being a frog. So we hopped into being a frog, a fully remote organization. And that was a huge transition because many organizations were not set up for that with the skills and the tools and the policies and the processes. And now companies are trying to figure out what's the next right step for their workforce strategy. And one that includes some of the flexibility that all of, all of these employees have been enjoying from the remote work situation, but also enabling those moments of in-person relationship building and collaboration. So this is going to be tricky because hybrid is harder. So in this frog, this fully remote situation, we're mostly on an equal playing field. But when offices start opening back up again, what's going to happen is distance bias is going to start to 
rear its ugly head again. And so distance bias is what the Neuroleadership Institute talks about within their seeds unconscious bias model. It's our brain's natural tendency to put more importance on the people and the things that are closer to us than those that are further away. And this is what I felt and had to put plans in place to mitigate for the eight years that I was leading teams at Clorox. I was in my home office in Philly, and the majority of my team was in a headquarters building 3,000 miles and three time zones away. Wow. Really, really important. So we know that hybrid's going to be even harder, so we want to get ready for it. I know you and I were talking a little bit before this about some of the patterns that we see, because there's a lot to unpack in hybrid, right? Like it's not just one thing. And so I wonder if you could share with us uh, some of the different ways you're seeing organizations go into that hybridized mode. There really is going to be a range of models across industries. And then even within each company, different teams might adopt a different strategy. So we're about to head into another time of experimentation and innovation when it comes to this workforce and workplace strategy development. So a couple of things that I've seen rising to the top through what what my, my clients are doing, what I've seen in the news as well. So this one area around role-based remote. So this idea of looking at your employees and segmenting them. So a lot of companies are doing the employee segmentations. They're looking at which roles must be fully in person, which roles must or could be fully remote, and which require an in-office portion during the week or the month or the year. And they're also trying to take into account employee preferences. The other piece that they're also looking at, for those that say we need some sort of in-person time together, they're looking at having on-site overlap days. So coming into the, the office, but some portion of the week or the month where everyone will be there and thinking through, well, why would that need to happen? What is the type of work that would happen during the overlap? That's all good in in a perfect world, but like I, I really want to kind of turn this on its head a little and offer this advice, which is no matter how much you decide that your teams need to be in the office together at a, on a certain day at a certain time, you have to have a remote first mindset to mitigate this distance bias because it is flawed thinking to think that we will all be together even part of the week together because that didn't even happen before the pandemic. Like just think about your life before the pandemic. There were days where team members were traveling to meet a customer or team members were working from home because they had a doctor's appointment. So this is the moment to redesign for location inclusion from the start with the assumption that even well-intended co-location is probably not going to happen. So build from the place of remote first. Fantastic. That's so fascinating that we kind of had little glimmers of this before, but now it's going to come in full force. And so we need to have this remote first way of thinking about things. Hi there, Sue's here. Hope you're enjoying the conversation. Curious to know a bit more about IDOU? We're an online school where anyone can learn to solve anything creatively. If you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed today, I invite you to join our online course, Cultivating Creative Collaboration. In this course, you'll learn a new way of working, one that harnesses the power of diverse perspectives and creative thinking to push past the obvious safe solutions toward the truly innovative ones. You can check it out at idou.com slash collaboration. 
Now, let's get back to the conversation. One of the things that I'd love to hear from you is is a little bit more about in this hybrid world, we know it's the way of the future, it's still going to be harder. And so what can leaders do? What can we do as leaders in order to support the people in our workforce and ourselves to make this a little bit easier? So let's talk about three different areas. We're going to talk about upskilling. We're going to talk about developing a location inclusion plan. And then we'll talk about creating a head of hybrid role. So let's start with the upskilling piece. So this first year should have taught everybody that old school in-person management techniques are no longer enough. I know that the most of you now who are listening have had one year under your belt, and it's a large learning curve to figure out how to lead and communicate and collaborate across distance. Like, like you said, I'm on 10 years and I am still learning every day how to do this well. And so one of the frameworks that I wanted to, to provide for you is, is a virtual leadership success framework that I use, these four key areas to be a successful virtual leader. And I created this because oftentimes organizations would come to me and they'd start with the tech tools. Like, what are the tech tools that we need to be effective virtually? And the tech tools are important. You have to have the right ones and people need to know how to use them. But the other three areas that are even more important are expectation setting. So getting really clear on the virtual team principles and communication norms and the expectations that you have for your team and each other. The relationship building and the culture building part, which I know we're going to get into more deeply in a little bit. And then lastly, there's this kind of technical and leadership skills. So the the skills that we knew how to do in person, but now have to adjust for distance. So things like, how do I manage and coach direct reports? How do I have a manager who's not co-located with me? How do I influence across distance? I know know you have one of the articles that we did together about influencing across distance. And then the, the building the culture piece. So I've also provided some free resources to IDEO. There's a downloadable in there that has a a, um, self-assessment of the top 10 virtual leadership skills. So you could do that yourself. You could do that with your team and see where you see your strengths and your opportunity areas. And for the people who are strong in some of these areas, the call to action is to raise your hand and teach others. People need help, and, and some of you might have, have the, the strength in different areas where you can actually support each other. Okay, so that's all about upskilling all of these different areas. Check out what Sasha's sharing with us. Take the assessment yourself to see where you stand, and if you're, if you're winning that game, great. Help others out, but if not, where most of us are, if there's still a lot to learn, how do you work with your organization to start to upskill and share what others are doing to move it all forward? Yeah. So that's upskilling. What about inclusivity and inclusion? So an aspect of diversity and inclusion that I've been talking about for years is this idea of location, inclusion, and diversity. So thinking about how do you ensure all of your team members, all of your employees, that they are included and considered regardless of where they live or work. So this is kind of a call to action to look for location bias in your people processes. 
So prior to the pandemic, so many organizations required employees to work from a specific office location to be eligible for a role or a project or a promotion. And even myself, you know, back in 2010, when I asked to be this experiment to move from San Francisco back to Philadelphia, it actually uncovered that there was distance bias in the company's career pathing process. Because at the time, I was given the permission to do this, but I was told, you'll never get promoted. You'll never get to work in certain roles. You're going to move from a high potential employee to a low potential employee, not because your skills have changed, but because potential was linked to promotability, which was linked to location. So I took that as a challenge. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but in my head I was going, I'll show you. I will figure out how to change your minds. And it took a long time, but I was able to get promoted, work on those businesses and get them to delink location for potential. So this, I just see this as the catalyst for right now what's happening, such a catalyst to strive for that equal opportunity across locations. Amazing. Amazing. And right now we know so many organizations are looking at all of their processes for talent and inclusivity as well because of all of the changes coming in the world and looking deeply at those biases. And so location is a premium one that we need to increase our awareness of and make sure that we're making possibilities for everyone. Right. And if you if you aren't in HR, if you aren't a senior leader in your organization that owns these processes, you can still have a role here. You can still be at cause. You can still speak up when you see that the distance bias has crept into these processes. Nice. Great. And I feel like you're giving us the language to be able to raise some of these issues and look for some of these issues out in in articles and media all around us. All right. So inclusivity. And then you had one more point for us about leadership and and moving these things forward. Yeah. So thinking about actually creating a new role that's responsible for this hybrid workforce. So as I said, hybrid is harder. You don't want to leave the the success of this up to chance. So there's been in the news a lot about some companies hiring head of remote positions. And I actually think that puts the emphasis in the wrong place. I think we should be thinking about a head of hybrid or even what I've seen most recently, some organizations are calling head of workplace innovation. It's somebody who is responsible of look at looking at the employee experience across all locations, who's responsible for leading a cross-functional effort across the, the people plan and policy, the IT plan, the real estate plan, the learning and development plan, the DNI plan that is looking across the fact that that we are spread across distance in some sort of form, whether that's across different office sites with some fully remote employees, some part-time remote employees, and really helping to experiment and learn what is best for the organization moving forward. Wow. So in all of the complexities that we're dealing with, is how who is a person or a part of the organization that can bring all of these needs together because they're all interdependent with each other. You can't change one and forget about the others. And so you need somebody. I love what you're saying. Just don't leave it to chance. Put some attention on it. Start measuring it. Start experimenting because we still don't have all the answers. And again, if, if you're listening and you're thinking like, how, how can I impact change here? If you have deep remote or hybrid work leadership experience, raise your hand. Companies need people with this type of experience. I mean, you are ahead of the curve if you have anything more than like 
18 months of experience right now, really. Um, and, and these positions, both either at like that senior level of this head of hybrid that I'm painting for you, or even on task force, those positions are in high demand and low supply right now. So raise your hand. Yeah, I love it. All right, I want to keep us moving through different topics. This is a great discussion, but um, one of the new phrases, the many new phrases that we've all learned in the last year is remote fatigue, right? People are exhausted from this new way of working. Some people claim that it's the video on all the time, but it's also just like the pace of things has shifted up and the fact that we're all constantly, constantly learning. And so in our survey that we shared out, we asked our community some of the things that they're seeing that help them to uh, battle remote fatigue. Some of the things we heard, um, organizations and especially leadership encouraging self-care. You know, by self-care, we mean blocking out time for things that aren't work, blocking time for exercise, meditation apps. And so that the organization encouraging people to do that, to maintain their balance is key. One of the things that I really appreciated and I thought was interesting from our survey was that we heard a lot about structuring time. Instead of just endless flexibility for everyone to do things in the way they needed, we heard a lot of organizations providing no meeting block zones so that everybody was off during certain times and everybody was on during other times. And so that intentionality of time was something I thought was particularly interesting. Here's one quote that we all loved. Um, Somebody saying, our team has focused on output rather than hours worked. And this has been a huge help for me as a working parent and also someone who struggles with mental health. As long as I'm completing what I need to do on time and my boss knows where to find me, it's all good. And so these are things that we learned from the survey that we conducted, and I think they are incredibly helpful looking at output rather than hours worked. Sasha, you've been at this much longer than most people with us today. What are some of the things that that you're seeing organizations and individuals do to battle remote fatigue? This burnout is happening across industries. Every team I'm working with is is struggling with this. But I think part of it is first remembering that this is not normal remote work. This is work-life collision that's happening right now. We're juggling our families and our work and our household duties like never before. And then we have also having extreme levels of uncertainty and anxiety as well. So there are so many reasons for the, the burnout. So let's just dig into one together today, which is back to the intentionality that you just brought up, Suze, about many teams had not yet instituted new virtual team ways of working. They're trying to recreate what was in an office environment, and that's leading to these back-to-back meetings and this communication overload. So really, the, the concept is that in, in strong virtual teams, you need to have a good balance of synchronous, meaning live, real-time communication, and asynchronous communication, not live, not real-time. And then within each component, the synchronous piece and the asynchronous piece, you have to have rituals established and norms established. And one, one specific concept and tactic I can, I can leave you with today is this idea of batching. So batching non-urgent interruptions. So let me paint the picture. You're a manager and you have, you have five direct reports. Even if you are having weekly one-on-ones, chances are that each of your direct reports is contacting you at least once a day through text or IM or email for non-urgent matters. So that's at least 25 interruptions a week. 
So one of the things that I used to do is hold an office hours time. So I had one hour on my calendar every week that my entire team knew that I was available. I was sitting at my desk that it was available for them to knock on my virtual door and they could batch those questions. And then we could quickly on a first come first serve basis run through the list of things that they needed from me. So thinking about ways to batch interruptions. Oh, that's great. I love that. So, because it's it's that switching cost. I feel like people are talking about that constant switching cost from meeting to meeting, from activity to activity, and all of the micro things in between that takes a lot of mental energy and is amplifying some of the exhaustion. As a cultural anthropologist, I can't help it. I want to think about culture. I am fascinated with how much things are shifting and the fact that we don't know what's going to happen with organizational cultures at the other side of this wave of change. And so we've talked about things like social capital has waned that we had before when we were in person. Now we're at the point with so many organizations where we've hired lots of people, we've onboarded new people, teams are working together, and they've never actually met in person. And so how can we continue to build culture when we haven't met? And so again, we asked in our our survey to the IDOU community what people were doing. Yes, of course, there are the, the persistent virtual happy hours and virtual coffee times, and that's not all we need to do. Some of the interesting things that we heard were um, little micro ways of putting human needs first, micro introductions, checking in at the beginning of a meeting for how people are actually doing, greeting the dog when the dog comes into the room as a real member of the team. So the humanity of our lives and making sure that there's room for that. Uh, but some of the things that I thought were re- really interesting were about elevating a certain aspect of culture, values, goals, and purpose, and doing that in creative ways telling more customer stories, helping people connect their own personal purpose to the purpose of the enterprise. And so I'll share a personal thing that we're trying at IDOU, um, just because it's an experiment we've got going in this space. Uh, Basically, we came back from the holidays, and everybody could tell that no matter what, energy was low. And so our chief of staff, Madeline, reached out to people and gave them an anonymous way to share what they needed. And yes, we found that there were the things we suspected. People needed a little more time, a little more heads down space. But we heard from people that one of the things they needed was inspiration. They needed that even more than some of the other things that we would have thought they needed. And so what we've done is that this week on our one-year remote anniversary, the team has gotten together and designed something we call Fuel Week. It's a week to celebrate get inspired, and reconnect to purpose. And so we're doing activities every day, a mini hackathon on how to restructure our regular meetings, lots of things coming in from our IDOU community and our teaching team to help people understand what is it that we're doing, what's having positive impact in people's lives. And it's been a great experiment. But after sharing that from my little part of the world, Sasha, I'm wondering, what are the other things you're seeing people do with culture that you think are important and impactful? I think that the main takeaway is to to break apart culture building from camaraderie building. So as you mentioned before, some of the things like the virtual happy hours, for example, that's not actually culture building. I mean, in fact, a lot of those, those virtual social activities are actually adding to the remote work fatigue that we were just talking about. 
So let, let me kind of break it down for you. So the culture, culture is the values, attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors that are shared by a team. It's how people work together toward a common goal. It's how they treat each other. Camaraderie is that kind of mutual trust and friendship among people that spend a lot of time together. And it's an important component of culture, but I, I want to break those things apart because if, if if truly we need to build culture and drive culture forward, which we do, especially as Sue, as you were saying, new people coming on board that hadn't met each other before, people rotating into new teams within an organization, you have to go back to those foundations of the values, attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors that usually ladder up to the company's purpose or the mission. And we, I think we took the those things for granted when we were together in person because we kind of just picked them up organically when we were co-located. But now that we're behind these virtual curtains and we only get little peaks in the meetings we're in together and through the digital communication, you realize how you need to be so intentional about reinforcing those values and behaviors. So I, I can give you an example. You know, when I worked at Clorox, one of the corporate values was work together to win. And what my virtual team did, so we took some of the corporate values and we figured out what are the behaviors that we want to drive within our smaller team. So an example of a behavior that laddered up to work together to win was we are teachers and we are students. And so what that said is that we actually were were required to be teaching each other and learning from each other. And then that was reinforced through some of the rituals we put into place to share learnings across the team. And that was reinforced through our recognition processes and, and, and tactics. So for example, we had a Blackboard award to, to a person that went above and beyond to teach others. So again, the call to action here is to think about, do you have values in place? Have you translated those values into behaviors that you want to reinforce and recognize and reward? And then look at your recognition activities, look at your camaraderie building activities, and make sure that they're infused with intention to reinforce the values and the behaviors. Yeah, so helpful. I love how you're breaking apart culture from camaraderie and then thinking about values, attitudes, beliefs, behaviors, and how you can create Rituals that reinforce all of those things. So much richness. I could talk to Sasha all day. Sasha, I know you, can you just point us toward the, the little gift that you've created for this community? So something to take away. Sure. So if you go to virtualworkinsider.com forward slash IDOU, so I-D-E-O-U, <laughs> there are three different resources that you can download. One is my 10 tips from 10 years of remote work, the 10-year remote anniversary uh, tip, tip list there. That resource guide that includes that self-assessment that we talked about earlier about the, the 10 uh, most important virtual leadership skills. And then also there is a 20-minute video, which is a mini class in how to create valuable virtual client agency relationships. So that is near and dear to my heart because as a marketer at Clorox, I worked with seven different agencies at any given time that were spread across North America. And I have so many learnings from that relationship there, that, that, that relationship across distance with agency and client. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was incredibly useful. A uh, couple things just before we go. Uh, we will be sharing more results from our survey about how people and their teams can work better in a hybrid way. Also, if you're interested in learning more about some techniques to keep culture and creativity flowing, we invite you to check out our course, Cultivating Creative Collaboration. 
You can gain skills and techniques that can foster that creative culture. You can check that out at idou.com slash collaboration. With that, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again soon. Thank you, Sasha. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creative Confidence from IDOU. Stay up to date on our Creative Confidence conversations and send your questions for our upcoming guests. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and sign up for our IDOU newsletter at idou.com backslash cc. Thanks for joining us.